But we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 10, and we're going to go through uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 5. As many of you know, we're in a series right now talking about scriptures that pump us up. And this bulk of scripture right here in 2 Timothy has been my anchor. It's helped me so many times when I've been discouraged, when I felt dejected, when I felt like throwing in the towel, this was a scripture that I've turned to often, and it's always been a wealth of information and encouragement to me. You guys ready? If you got it, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, hold up. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) Jesus, hallelujah, praise the Lord, Christ, Hugh, we be. All right, all right, here we go, here we go. Amen. Amen. Just a little insight, something for impact. Here we go. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. This is Paul speaking to his young protege, Timothy. And out of them all... The Lord delivered me. How many of you know that everything that you're going through, the Lord will deliver you out of that? It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're old. The Lord will deliver you out of that situation if you look to him from where your help comes from. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, For instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, ready for every good work. Listen to what this says right here. I charge you. Look at your neighbor and say, I charge you. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Come on, somebody. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, he says to Timothy, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears Away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I want to speak to you for a few moments from the subject matter. I charge you. I charge you. And before I charge you, the Lord has charged me a lot with this. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord that the flower fades, the grass withers, but your word shall stand forever. 
We know that you're going to bring to pass what you promised, what you've spoken over our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people this morning. I pray that they would walk out of here differently than how they came in and that you would use me as your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing in the house of God. As we look at this scripture, I love this passage of scripture. And as we're talking about scriptures that pump me up, and also, I wanted to also honor our lead pastors, Pastors Frank and Lisa Santora. I failed to do that earlier. Can we give it up for our lead pastors, even in their absence? It's because of their vision and dedication to this house that we're able to do what we do, and we're thankful for them. But as we're looking at this scripture, I think oftentimes people think that pastors have it all together, that we don't go through any trials, that we don't have any temptations or things that we face on a daily basis. But may I encourage you, that there's things that we go through just like you go through. Even this past week, I was bombarded with a lot of things that seemed to hit me at once. Because how many of you know, whenever trials come, sometimes it feels like everything is coming at you at once. And it dealt with my father and an illness that he's been going through. And, and I was challenged and I was feeling just the weight of the world upon my shoulders. But just like with Timothy, who was a young Man of God, in these scriptures that we're reading, I love First and Second Timothy because this describes a young minister who had a calling on his life, but that calling was realized as a result of not only his family leading him into the things of God. We don't know a whole lot about his father, but we do know that his mother and his grandmother continually poured the word of God into him and prayed over him and interceded for him. Some of you in this place are surviving just because of your mother's prayers. Some of you haven't been consumed because you have a praying grandmother. You have somebody that's interceding for you. So don't think that you escaped death just because of, of willpower or because of luck. No, somebody was praying for you. And you've been sustained for a purpose. And God's wanting to do something in your life. But as I look at this scripture and I look at my own life, I realize that there's things that we all go through. And even as pastors, even as young ministers. And so it was the task of Paul to take this young man named Timothy and teach him everything that he could about the things of God, about how to be an effective minister, about how to overcome temptation, about how to not give in to temptation, and all that comes with it. It's challenging. It's difficult. But even at a young age, as I said, there was potential that was on the inside of him. But just like some of you, there's potential that's on the inside of you, but sometimes it lays dormant until somebody pulls you out of it, or pulls it out of you, rather. And just like with young people, this is why my wife and I, we love ministering to people, because many times the Lord will show us the potential that somebody has on the inside when everybody has counted them as lost goods. God never sees us that way. He knows the ending from the beginning. He calls those things to be not as though they were. He knows the hairs that are on your head. He knows you're lying down and you're getting up. He knows you better than you know yourself. But Paul had this task of trying to encourage his young protege, Timothy. Paul would oftentimes go into towns and he would minister the gospel and he would see people get saved, sometimes by the hundreds. And when these people got saved, he didn't just leave them to themselves, but he took on the task of discipling them. You know, a thought that I had with all of the modern day technology and conveniences that we have, we should be pouring in to those who God has put in our sphere of influence all the time. 
Do you realize that Paul in his day, he didn't have FaceTime? He didn't have Google Hangouts. He didn't have, have uh, uh, um, what's it called, Skype. He didn't have uh, a phone or a car to be able to drive somewhere quickly. I know some of you can go 80 miles per hour. Like He didn't have some of these modern-day conveniences that we have. But yet, he said to himself, if I have betrothed you to one husband, I also have to keep you. I have to be the one to model what it means to be a man of God before you. And I can attest to the fact I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for mentors that were placed in my life. Some which I invited into my life and some that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and they pulled it out. Pastor Frank being one of those. But I want to challenge you with something. Even in this room, are there anybody, is there anybody that you have in your life whom you've established as a mentor? I know some of you may have women issues. I've heard the conversations, well, I don't trust a woman like they all backbiting and like they all talk about you behind your back. Not every woman is like that. Not every woman is like that. There are some women that believe in you. There are some women that want to pour into you and believe that there's a calling on your life. And there are some men in this place. Man, I, don't, I, I, I really can't be transparent. Like I don't, I don't like to open up. But the reality is you won't go far in life if you don't submit yourself to authority. Even Jesus himself was submitted to authority. As we saw here demonstrated on stage, when he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, he said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He recognized the authority that was in his life, which was his father. And if any of us are going to operate in any level of authority, you have to be willing to submit yourself to authority. And you have to be willing to allow people to speak into your life. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so another brother sharpens another brother. We need each other. So as we dive into this text, I have a few points that I want to share with you, some things that I want to pull apart that I've been blessed by over the years. The first point that I want to make, and it's a charge, is I charge you to live a life realizing everything you do and say will be evaluated by Jesus. Everything that we do and say will be evaluated by Jesus. Did you know that there is something talked about in the Bible called the judgment seat of Christ? This is different than the great white throne judgment. And you can read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And it's a judgment that all believers in Christ will go through. Now, don't get scared or don't feel like you want to shrink back because this judgment is not to determine whether or not you will get into heaven. Because that's determined the moment that you choose to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That decision is made. But what this judgment does do is God will evaluate every single work that you have done for him and take it through the refining process of fire to see if it comes out. Every gift that you gave, did you give it in the right motive? Did you give it with a cheerful heart? Did you give it not expecting to receive something, uh, though you will receive, but did you give it out of the gratefulness of your heart? Everything that you did for the poor, did you do it to be seen, to toot your own horn, or did you not let your left hand know what your right hand was doing? Every time you fasted, did you sound a parade and say, look, everybody, I'm fasting, I'm spiritual, I'm godly, look at me, or did you do it in secret, realizing that God rewards those who do things in secretly, he rewards them openly? God's going to evaluate every decision. And you know what I love? God's going to give us rewards for every time we said no to temptation. Every time you said no to your flesh. 
Every time you crucified your flesh, every time you could have gone off on somebody, but you said, you know what, that's not me no more. Every time maybe you were chilling out with somebody that you're in a relationship with, but you said to yourself, you know what, I'm going to walk in purity. I'm not going to go there until it's time to get married. God will reward you for that. Every time your parents told you to take out the trash, hello, and they told you to take out the trash, and you didn't do it with delayed obedience, but you did it with obedience, God will bless you for that. Because guess what? Delayed obedience is still disobedience. My mom was straight up. She's like, boy, you better take out this trash right now. All right? And she only had to tell me once. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. But he will evaluate everything that we've ever said or done for Jesus. All of it will go through the fire and see if it comes out as pure gold. Are you guys with me? The second charge that he gives us is I charge you to preach the word and trust the Holy Spirit's power. You know, we live in a day and age where a lot of people are seeking for those who will tickle their ears. And what this means is they're searching for those that will preach what they want to hear. But can I submit to you, sometimes the best word that you can receive is a word you don't want to hear. Sometimes the best words that have liberated me, the best words that have set me on fire for God was a straight up in my face word of God that spoke to me, convicted me, and caused me to think about some things. That's the word of God. But we live in a day and age where we go from church to church. We church out. We go from this place to that place. I didn't like what that preacher said. It wasn't like jiving with what I'm trying to do in my life, so I'm going to go there. I'm living with my girl, and we're not willing to get married now, so the preacher's talking about that. I'm not going to this church. And we, and we kind of juck and jive going to different places trying to find the right preacher that will tickle our ears. But what Paul charged Timothy with, even though you see all of this around you, I'm telling you as my son, as my spiritual son, preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. Even if they won't receive the word, know that my word shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, 11. But there's some things that are in our culture right now that have to be dealt with. There are so many different agendas There are so many different teachings and everybody's been given a microphone on social media to say certain things. But man, there are certain things that we got to come back to the word of God on. For example, God has defined marriage as between a man and a woman, period. He's defined it as a man and a woman. Now, does that mean that we're not accepting of people? Does that mean we're going to close our doors? Never. Anyone who has any issue, any stronghold, anything that they're going through, they're always welcome in this house. But let me share something with you. In the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, God said, a man shall leave his mother and father and the two, and he shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You know what's amazing? You can read about this in Ephesians chapter five, towards the end of that chapter. And this is powerful. Did you know that your marriage is supposed to be an illustration of Christ and his relationship with the church? Even if somebody doesn't understand the mystery between Christ and his relationship with his church, they ought to be able to look at your marriage and get an illustration or a shadow or type of what it's supposed to look like. But if you start confusing or distorting what marriage is, you break the typology and you cease to be an example of what God created. Are you with me here in this place? If I love my wife like Christ loves the church, somebody that sees that begins to get a clue of what Christ is to the church. If my wife, we're submitted to one another as we submit to one another, we become an example to the world. 
of what Christ and his church looks like. Another prevailing argument, and I don't have time to get into this fully, but man, it's coming, and it's coming strong, is the legalization of marijuana. And I hear young people say all the time, and, and you know what, when it comes to medical reasons, you know, there's a lot of science, and, and, and I'm no doctor, and I don't profess to be one, but normally in the cases that I'm dealing with, it's for recreational use. And most young people that I'm speaking to, oh, man, this is natural. Man, like, man, I, I, you know, like if I just hang out with my boys and, like, you know, we just do a little uh, casual smoke and there's nothing wrong with that, hold up for a second. Pause. Time out. You're telling me that this is natural and God created this. You were right. In the beginning, in the very beginning, in Genesis, as we read, God created all things. Can I get an amen? He created all things. But there's something that transpires in chapter 3 that we vividly saw here on stage. There was a fall. There was a temptation that came through Satan. And both Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit. Now somebody may ask and say, why would a loving God put this tree in the garden? Didn't he know that they were going to fall? I like to use this example. If my wife and I were the only two people here on earth, And my wife came to me and said, Brandon, I want to know that you're faithful to me. In the absence of other options, how can my faithfulness be proven to her? In the same way with your relationship with God, God did not want you to serve him robotically, but he wanted you to serve him with passion. He wanted you to serve him with a heartfelt devotion. And his way of knowing this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say. But we know that they fell. And the Bible says everything up under their domain fell as well. They were given the earth. They were called to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. So everything up under their domain fell as well and was corrupted by sin. How do I know this? Well, in Romans chapter 8, I don't have time to go into this in great detail, but it says in that scripture that all of creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Do you want to know why they're waiting on the sons of God to be revealed? So that they themselves can be liberated from the bondage that they were subjected to because of the fall. So don't come to me and say, oh, this is natural. And and you know what? Let me say one more thing. And I know I'm on a little soapbox here, but like, just hear my heart. God is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. He wants your heart. He's not jealous of us, but he's jealous for us. If you're going through a stressful time, I don't want you to turn to the alcohol bottle. Come to me. If you're having anxiety, which I'm realizing is more prevalent today with a lot of people, not just teens, but also with adults, come to me and listen to what my word says. Did you know in Proverbs that the Bible says anxiety in the heart causes depression, but a good word will drive it out? And in Philippians 4, 6, it says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Can I get an amen? Be anxious for nothing. By prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. So why are you going to the drugs? Why are you going to the alcohol? Why are you going to the club? Some of you guys may have been looking at some of these young people up here praising the Lord like, man, does it take all that? Yes, it does take all that. Because when you understand what they've been liberated from, when you understand the mess that they were going through and their family, that's why they praise God. And I'm sorry, if I praise the Lord in the club like that, I'm praising God even more. As David said, I will become more undignified than this. 
Because sometimes we got to get to a place when we come in the house of God, you may not feel like worshiping the Lord. You may not feel a thing, but I'm going to give you an offering of praise. I'm going to give you an offering of worship. And in the midst of me doing this, I know that you'll come and you'll heal me and you'll set me free. It doesn't matter who's looking. I don't care if I look like a fool. I would rather look like a fool to men than be a fool when I get to heaven. Come on, somebody. I charge you to preach the word. We got to preach the word. And it's not just pastors that have to preach the word. We have to preach the word with conviction, but also in a spirit of love. You know what I love? In John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And um, in that scripture, he told Nicodemus that no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You know, when we came into this earth because of the fall in Adam and Eve, all of us have certain bents. We have certain tendencies. We gravitate towards certain things. For one person, it may be alcohol. For one person, it may be womanizing. To one person, it may be pornography. To one person, it may be homosexuality. We all have different bents. And by the way, as Christians, we shouldn't seek to put others down, not realizing that there's some issues in our life that we're going through as well, that God's working on. There's issues that we have to deal with. And I'll be the first to tell you, God is still working on me. But all of us have different bents. And sometimes in my conversations with people, they'll say, I was born this way. And I'll be like, you're right. You were born that way. All of us were born in sin, shaped in iniquity from our mother's womb. All of us have certain bents that we gravitate towards. But here's the good news. You can be born again. You can receive Jesus into your life, and he can change your nature. doesn't mean that you won't still struggle. Doesn't mean that you won't be tempted to go back to that lifestyle. But if I know anything about the word of God in Romans 6, it says, I will liken myself dead unto sin and alive unto God. Sin shall not have dominion over you for you are no longer under the law, but you're under grace. What is that grace? The grace of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me, helping me to live this thing out. I love this, man. This is some good stuff. Watch this. We are perfect positionally, but we struggle transitionally. Let me say that again. Maybe this crowd will get it. We are perfect positionally, but we struggle transitionally. Did you know that the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you is the very nature and DNA of God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, these three are one, correct? So if the Spirit lives on the inside of you, and in Romans it says our spirits bear witness with his spirit that we are the sons of God. If I have the Holy Spirit living within me, that means I'm seated with him in heavenly places. He, I'm in the palm of his hands. No one can pluck me out. The anchor of the spirit that I have is behind the presence in the very presence of God. So no matter what trials, no matter waves come my way, I am anchored in him and nothing can separate me from his love. We got to preach the word. Knowledge that doesn't change one's life is useless. On the flip side, living without understanding of who God is and what he expects of us is dangerous. You know, in this scripture that we read, and this is one of my favorite scriptures in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is God-breathed. I hear all the time, oh, man, I don't believe in what that Bible says, man, because it was written by men. You're right, it was written by men, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. You can't see the wind either. You don't know where it comes from. You can't touch it, but you feel it, right? Spend all this time on your hair and your hair is all messed up. Trash cans are knocked over. Tree limbs are broken. So you can't see it, but yet you notice the effects of it. 
you're looking at a living witness of somebody who was a heathen, who was dominated by lust, who had a stuttering problem, who had a speech impediment. You're looking at someone who received the grace of God. And the Lord changed my life. And I'm a living witness that he's no respecter of persons. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you as well. But we got to trust his word. It's profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, conviction, and rebuke, demonstrating some truth beyond, dis- beyond dispute. Reproof. You know, I've learned in my life, and I realize that a lot of you in this room are wiser than I am. You've gone through a lot more than what I've gone through, and I could learn from you. But can I just share something with you? One thing that I've learned is there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who were in Christ Jesus. This is what condemnation will do. It'll come to you when you fall or when you're at your weak point and say, you know what, you might as well just stay down. What's the point of getting up? You'll be just like your father. You'll be just like your mother. You'll end up in prison. You'll go through the same things that they went through. Like you might as well just not even get up. But conviction is patient. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Conviction will come to you and say, Brandon, you're better than this. I've called you to be the head and not the tail. Stop, stop walking below your standard. Stop walking below your calling. Rise up from this situation. Confess your faults before me. I've already known what you did. Just come and confess it. A just man may fall seven times, but he rises back up again. We have to learn to embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, I wouldn't even think of smiling when I read this scripture or when I quoted this scripture, but in Hebrews 12, 11, I love this. And you've got to hear its teaching. No discipline seems to be joyful at the time, but painful. Painful. But afterwards, it yields the, the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I think sometimes we think the Lord is disciplining me because of something I've done wrong. And sometimes that is the case. But there's other times where God is disciplining you because he's wanting to take you to another level. I like to liken it to an athlete who disciplines his body. He can't eat at McDonald's every day. If he's trying to run a marathon, he's got to discipline his body. He's got to say no to his flesh. In the same way, God is like, I'm trying to take you to another level. From faith to faith, from glory to glory. So don't despise my conviction. The Lord loves those in whom he disciplines. He loves us. And sometimes we have to be willing to embrace the correction that he brings to our lives. Because he's patient. He's not like man. He knows us. You guys with me? In our preaching, if there is no conviction, but no, or if there is conviction, but no remedy, we add to people's burdens. If we encourage those who ought to be rebuked, we are missing, we are causing them to sin, assisting them to sin. You know, I know that all of us have good intentions when somebody's going through something. And I must say this when it comes to preaching the word. Sometimes people don't need a scripture at that moment. I can't tell you as a pastor, sometimes I've heard stories of people that have been sick or experiencing a trial going on in their lives. And well-meaning people who claim to be Christians will come and say, man, it's because you did something wrong. It's because you sinned. Has God given you that revelation? Has God spoken to you that? Because as far as I'm concerned, that's not bringing any edification, but that's causing somebody to go deeper into discouragement. 
We're called to speak life. We're called to call those things that be not as though they were. We're called to pray for each other and to intercede for others. And there are times when we have to challenge people, but we should always challenge ourselves first and check our hearts. Am I coming to you in the, with the right heart or am I still coming to you in a place of offense? I need to check my heart. I need to check my heart. Watch this. Point number three. I charge you to study for yourself before you study for others. God spoke this to me a long time ago. Brandon, if you get up every day and you choose not to get into the word of God and you choose not to spend time in prayer and worship, what you were literally saying to me is, I got this. I don't need you. I trust my flesh to take control and handle anything that I may go through in this day. How many of you know we, won't, we will not survive off of that? We need his word. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the division of the soul and spirit. I hear from young adults often, how do I know how to hear the voice of God? We have a retreat that's coming up, frequency, positioning ourselves to hear the word of, or, or to hear the voice of God. First of all, have you read the word of God? You're wanting to hear the voice of God, but have you read the word of God? Because sometimes you'll be hearing all these voices and you won't be able to distinguish, is this God's voice? Is this the devil's voice? Is this my flesh? But when you've been reading his word, you are circulating an action of faith. And the word is starting to churn on the inside of you to where when you hear something, you'll know right away, I know that's of God. I know that's not of God. That's not his character. That's not his nature. You can't tell me that's who God is. When I read about this, I know that's not him. If you want to pick God's brain, read his word. His word will reveal, and the word of God and the Holy Spirit will never be at odds with each other. They work in unison. In fact, Jesus said, when I send the Holy Spirit, he will not speak on his own accord, but he will only speak that which I told him to say. So the Holy Spirit will always be in alignment with God and his word. Are you guys with me? Some of you here in this room, maybe you lost a job. Maybe your marriage is going through a difficult time right now. Maybe you have some kids that you've been praying for, and you have yet to see the breakthrough manifest in your life. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. The effectual. It doesn't mean that you pray once. It doesn't mean that you pray twice. But it means that you intercede on a daily basis. Push, pray until something happens. I'm not giving up on them. I'm going to continually call those things that be not as though they were. Some of you have maybe had your kids say some of the most awful things to your face. And that's where you just got to speak and say, you know what? This is not who you are. This is not who I raised. This is not who you're destined to be. Even though you're saying these things to me and it's hard for me to receive it, I'm not going to get out of character because I know that it's the goodness of God that leads men and women to repentance, so I'm going to keep on loving you. And I'm going to keep on praying for you until I see the fulfillment of what I've been believing for. Are you with me in this place? Part of being in season and out of season is your personal devotion to the Lord. A minister once spoke to me and said, Brandon, before you get up there and speak any message, has God given you a message about your life, about what you're going through? Because in your personal devotion with God, the overflow of that is what you give to the people. But if you haven't been spending time with God yourself, you don't have the right to minister to, to someone else. And I, and I will tell you, I will tell you this, because I realize some of you are not in full-time ministry, but can I be transparent for a second? 
it's real easy to get so busy doing the work of the ministry that you neglect the God of the ministry. So easy. I can remember, and I've shared this before, there was a man whom I met before stepping into full-time ministry who had a moral failure, a moral failure. Thanks be to God that his marriage was restored and they're still together and have a powerful ministry. But I can remember him telling me, Brandon, before you step into this ministry or into full-time ministry, make sure that you keep that alone time with God, that intimacy with him, that spending time with him, intimacy, intimacy, God. Because you don't want to get to that place where you're so busy. You're doing this, you're going there, but you have no time for the Lord. And more importantly, you have no time for your family. The Bible says if a man can't take care of his own household, how can he take care of the church? If I'm so busy working on other people's kids that I don't work on my own kids, I'm perpetuating a cycle that I'm seeking to destroy, which is fatherlessness. I got to do better. Finally, I charge you with this. I charge you to be consistent and patient, even when it's inconvenient. The preacher is called to be long-suffering in his or her teaching, but the recipient is called to be like the Berean church in Acts chapter 17. You know what was so powerful about this church? They didn't take what the preacher said at face value, but they went home to study it for themselves. I want to raise up a generation, whether they be young or whether they be adults, then when I stand up here and preach, they don't just take what I say, but you go home and study it for yourself. Because who's to say, I wasn't in error or I missed something? How would you know if you're not in the words yourself? And I teach these young people and everyone that I minister to, it's okay if you have questions. It's okay if something doesn't make sense. Come, I'm never going to be intimidated by your question. To me, if anything, that's a sign that you're hungry. And that you want to draw closer to the Lord and you have a personal relationship with him. Come. I want to help you. Will you stand with me here in this place? Finally, I charge you to fulfill your God-given calling. It's not too late to fulfill the calling that's on your life. You may say, well, I'm too old. My time has passed. The devil's a liar. There are more people to be mentored. There's more ministries to be started. There's more mothers and fathers to raise up. There's more ministers to raise up. There's something on the inside of you. And not to mention the fact, all the investments that have been made in your life, all the prayers that have gone up on your behalf, all the acts of mercy that God has extended to you, how dare you sit on what God has told you to do? He's called you to fulfill this calling. He's called you not to look at your circumstances, but to look at your potential of who God has called you to be. And I believe in this place that God has given you a vision of the woman that you will ultimately become, the man that you will ultimately become. But you keep looking at your life saying, there's no way that I'm going to get there. It's not up to you to get yourself there. God said he will finish what he started on the inside of you. Just trust him and submit to his process and yield to his Holy Spirit. Close your eyes in this place. Is there anyone here in this room? You would say, Pastor, I ask for your prayers. The weight of the world is on my shoulders. I need to be charged up to fulfill what God has placed on the inside of me. It's been dormant for a long time, but I want that vision and that tenacity and that all for nothing will to serve God to come back. If that's you, raise your hand in this place. Father, I pray, Lord, that your anointing, Lord, would cover them in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that they would fulfill the assignment on their lives. No matter what circumstances they're in right now, may they come out of that, God. I pray for that single mom. 
I pray in the name of Jesus that she would see herself the way you see her. Even though he walked out, you are a husband to her and you always have been and you will protect her. Father, I pray for that man, Lord, who has all the pressure of his job and trying to provide for his family, God. Give him strength, God, and help him to know that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for healing in this place. Lord, that you would heal hearts, that you would heal cancer, that you would heal diabetes, Father, ear aches, Father, back aches in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for it to be gone because your word says that healing is the children's bread. I pray, ask him.